Aaron is a doctor of clinical nutrition, registered herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild, holistic rope. Ooh, I'm gonna start over. <laughs> I'll start a, over too. Aroma therapist. See, it's so weird how that aroma, aroma therapist. Is, oh my gosh, that's yeah. something we should invent. Yes. <laughs> I was imagining the little Roomba vacuum so, yeah. and then just spritzing the room spritzing with essential the room. oils. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a new product. Yeah, it is. I love it. You're listening to Herb Mentor Radio by Learning Herbs. I'm John Gallagher. And I'm Tara Ruth. Today we're chatting with Dr. Karen Dolan. Karen is a doctor of clinical nutrition, registered herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild, holistic aromatherapist, and author of several peer-reviewed articles. Emphasizing integrative functional nutrition, her goal as a clinician is promoting wellness and resilience through advanced nutritional strategies and targeted botanical interventions. You can learn more about Dr. Dolan's work at nourishwell-llc.com. Karen, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So glad to be here. Yeah, we're super excited to chat with you. And when I was getting to know your work a little bit before our interview, I kept on just thinking about the concept of food as medicine and how you blend food as medicine with your clinical nutrition background and herbalism background. And I just think about how this term food as medicine gets tossed around a whole lot these days. And I'm curious, as an herbalist and a nutritionist, can you just share a little bit with us about how you weave these two modalities together? That's not a big question at all. Yeah, but go right yeah, yeah. yeah, just, you know, go. casual. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I think that the concept of food as medicine is, you know, it really applies to our current societal kind of model of how we, mm. we kind of don't really count things as important unless it has like this concept, oh, well, it's like a medical intervention or, you know, something mm -hmm. like that. When in reality, this, you know, what we're really saying is that our food is like our source of connection to our world. That's how we live. That's how we breathe. That's how we function is everything that we take in that allows us to do that. And that's something that as herbalists, we've, we've pretty much known, right? It's like, yep. we've, mm -hmm. it's kind of just like a part of what we do, but in order to bring it into a more conventional model with today's kind of biomedical emphasis. I think we're saying food is medicine a lot more so that our, our medical system can kind of catch up, right. And can mm. realize the importance of what we take in. It's, it's shocking how, you know, that's just not something that's taught in, in medical schools and Western medical schools, right? So the idea that what you eat can really have a tremendous impact on how well you heal and how you respond to the needs of your day is something that a lot of clinicians might take for granted. Yeah, so I actually find myself using that more if I'm talking in a more academic setting or an environment where there's a conventional kind of model that's, that's underlying it. Mm -hmm. But most people, uh, even just through like their daily lives and experience and through their family history, especially people who love herbs already, mm -hmm. have that connection with their food um, and, and want to understand more, like reclaim the relationship with food and how it can help us heal. Mm. Do you have like uh, patients who may come to you and are 
hey, just give me this pill or supplement for it. And you're sometimes like, you know, just cooking up a stir fry would be good or using turmeric in your cooking would be good. How do you have those conversations with people, um, with your patients who, you know, who may be a little newer to thinking about this? Because it is a big transition, right? I mean, people, ah, cooking and food is something people just kind of have in their daily rhythm and then to change what they might be eating or how they might be cooking. It's a lot harder than just taking a pill. So what's that like for you? That's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, there are some people that are just very pill oriented and it's, it's difficult to kind of pull them away from that because there is like a magic to it, right? This idea that, oh, well, if I just mm. pop this supplement and go, I'm getting what I need. I think part of it has to do with the Jetsons and like that cartoon, <laughs> right? Where they, it's do you amazing remember? how they worked our way into it. <laughs> Our lives 50 years later. I know, because they were just like, just take these pills and then you'll be fine. Um, but, you know, honestly, I think there there are some people for whom the, the concept of preparing a meal and getting nourishment from it is, is actually a really big hurdle to overcome, like you, like you said. And usually to me, I think that's indicative of a deeper kind of breakdown in that person's relationship to food, mm. right? So sometimes our ability to kind of be able to receive the nourishment um, from our food, it's, it's, there's like a, it's a deeply personal kind of experience, right? If you actually think about the process of eating mm -hmm. and, and what goes into actually allowing yourself to, to integrate that food and those, those nutrients. So when you have people who are kind of locked down, like maybe their lives are so busy, they're just kind of going from thing to thing. And it's hard to even sit long enough to breathe, much less notice how they're feeling, right? For these people, the idea that they're going to stop and like mindfully prepare a meal is hard. So I think having them move over to, you know, from a place of supplementation to food is actually through a pathway of evaluating their relationship to food overall. And just how do they, how do they feel about, you know, their meals? Like oftentimes I'll go back to, you know, what was your favorite thing to eat when you were a kid? Mm. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what things you looked forward to, if anything, right. And helping people to reminisce a little bit, or are there just family traditions, things that, you all would just do around holiday times or to celebrate and helping people to reconnect on a heart level mm. with how meals can be indicative of, you know, being able to receive nourishment from your social situation, from your family, from your environment and from your food, like how rich that can be. Yeah. That oftentimes is a way we can open a door to saying, well, how can we bring some of that back into your daily life. Absolutely. It makes me think about with herbalism, how it can be really easy to just be like, okay, I'm going to learn what this herb is good for or with food too. I'm going to learn what this food is good for, mm -hmm. but you're really presencing like how we relate to food in our personal lives and in our childhoods and just in community at large. And it's really beautiful to weave that all together. You will, because the, the yeah, the, the customs or the, the, um, what people are used to, like, like say for, you know, I know 
Tara grew up with hippie parents, right? So like y'all, y'all were eating together <laughs> and eating out. good food. But, you know, I grew up in the seventies with parents from the city in the era of, you know, tuna helper, mm-hmm. you know, and had a lot of that. And so, you know, I, I, when I was learning about herbs and food as medicine and, you know, the ritual around eating and whatnot, there was kind of new for me. And mm-hmm. it was really give the credit to my wonderful wife, Kimberly, for really, you know, she grew up in a similar era <laughs> for embracing that mm-hmm. and really creating a culture in our own family. So our kids understood that. And now mm-hmm. my, now my daughter in college can't stand the dining hall and it's pretty good, you know, at Oregon State University. <laughs> and yet, and yet she with a, with her, with her friend is out going to markets and co-ops and cooking in the dorm room, uh, dorm, um, kitchen, and, and I can see her on her own bringing in a lot of the things that she grew up with all of a sudden that she's interested in. So, so yeah, I just guess it's, it's uh, kind of challenging for people, at least my generation, to change a lot of that. So that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, and yeah, I'm the age of like TV dinners. I'm, yes. You know, like the frozen <laughs> food, right? You know, it was definitely a shift from how generations before would have eaten, you know, like I, and I think about it, like my grandmother grew up like, so it was like depression times, right? Mm-hmm. And so I remember visiting with her and she was telling me about how after dinner, like her family, she would go out with her mom, they would go out for a walk and they would come back and have a water sandwich for dessert. Right. Hmm. And it was like a water sandwich because there was no, they didn't have dessert really. Mm. So it was a glass of water, but they enjoyed it as if it was a meal, uh, as if it was a treat, like to enjoy it together. The idea, like the energy of being together and sharing something together doesn't really matter as much what the food is. And there's a little bit of a debate there, right? Because Mm. we can also fall into a a kind of judgment about food, right? Where we Mm -hmm. identify like this TV dinner is not nourishing. But I've like in the past shared a story with folks about my own experience with this. And I, I had a time when my daughter was going in for surgery and she had to go for a biopsy and she hadn't eaten all day, mm. all day. So it had been like 12, 13 hours for her. And then she'd had this procedure and then she woke up like in the recovery area and I was sitting there and, you know, in our emergency rooms, like our food options, if you're looking from like yeah. a nutritional standpoint are not always the best. Right. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about like the value of food, the options they had for her were like, this like a popsicle. Right. And it was yeah. not a popsicle that was made with fruit. It was like, color, right? So it's like the red popsicle or like the the purple (laughs) popsicle, right? Yeah. Uh, Same flavor, different color. But the thing was for her, you know, sitting in my lap, she kind of curled up in my lap and she was sucking on this red popsicle and it was actually extremely nourishing, you know, from my Mm -hmm. viewpoint, because like there was this comfort of being in mama's lap, sucking on a on a popsicle that, Mm -hmm. you know, the cascade of anti-inflammatory, you know, responses within the body that can come with that and like overcome the sugar and overcome the red number 40 or whatever, you know, we discount that. So I think nourishment and when food can be medicine, 
so many times it's like, you might not have a lot of options available to you, mm-hmm. but the way you have it, the way you enjoy it, that can bring in a lot of that nourishment to change the way it moves in your body. So um, what are some foods, food is medicine that you may quote unquote prescribe to people when they're, of course, everyone coming to you has a different scenario and they're, you know, but when you're, how do you approach that? Like, what are some of your favorite, um, well, you know, foods or herbs or common herbs that, that you may tell people to put into their diets? So that's interesting. I mean, I'm a very big proponent of personalized nutrition. So I don't necessarily have like an automatic, but what I can say is like, I'll talk to people about preparing foods. You know, we, we talk about cooked vegetables, right? Cooked rather than raw, right? Even if it's lightly steamed, raw vegetables can be really difficult, especially for people that have been dealing with any kind of generalized ability Mm. or digestive insufficiency to actually get nourishment from. So we want to add a little bit of that heat just to kind of start the process of breaking it down and like increase the bioavailability for people. You know, I'll also talk to people about like some of those just, especially depending on if someone's really not feeling well, it's like, you know, how would you feel, feed a little kid, you know, a toddler who's just recovering, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to prepare things that are soft and easily digestible that are really well prepared. They've kind of soaked for a while. They've cooked for a while. Like that's how, you know, you're getting to the good stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage people like definitely different than Stouffer's or, you know, like whatever they would pull out of the freezer, you know, that that when you're looking to really kind of heal that, that time, that time factor and allowing the foods, the different herbs that you're putting together to, to blend and make a a rich kind of soup of nourishment. That's to me, the better way for, from a food as medicine perspective. I love Mm -hmm. that soup, Mm -hmm. soup as nourishment, personalized nutrition. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. as far as like herb wise, we have like, as society, we've kind of identified our, our culinary medicinal herbs, right. That we kind of, that folks tend to just have in their spice cabinet. Um, and you know, because we're not often cooking in the kitchen, they don't end up making their way into our food so much anymore. Mm. Um, but really being liberal, like, like with a, like an exploration of those spices and herbs in the cabinet, I think that there's like, you can't beat that, right? When you add it in to your soups and your porridges and things like that. I love, I mean, who doesn't, well, I don't know. There might be some people who don't <laughs> love chamomile, but I mean, gosh, chamomile is, has got to be one of the most kind of <laughs> all around just like you know, especially like that German chamomile, like it's mm-hmm. just has so many benefits. I've just, mm-hmm. I'm like, if all I could, I don't know right now, my, in my current state, I'm feeling like if I only had one herb that I could take with me, it might just be that German mm-hmm. chamomile. Um, so yeah, I love integrating that, you know, for people as well. I once did a video where I was traveling and my daughter wasn't feeling well and I went out, I needed to get something. So I go out to, of course, dad, you know, the kid's sick and I'm of course recording myself getting herbs. (laughs) I just realized what I just said. So folks, (laughs) but anyway, 
you know, I, I could get chamomile tea at any supermarket. I could get it at Starbucks if I need to. But it was the middle of the night. I actually got like hot water at a convenience store. So hot water and chamomile tea at the 24-hour grocery did wonders. Yes. Mm-hmm. When you're traveling, you know, that it's kind of usually around, which is really cool. Right. It's amazing how it's made its way even into our convenience stores. Like, yeah. you yeah. know, that that herb has like found its way into our hearts. Mm. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. I've been thinking about chamomile a lot this week too, because I, I really underestimated it because it was a plant that I just grew up drinking as a tea, kind of just thinking it was for taste. And then these past few weeks, it's been a really beautiful ally with my nervous system and relaxation. And yeah, I love thinking about as an herbalist now, like all the culinary herbs or beverage teas, like mint or chamomile that I grew up with and didn't think much of at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's so easy to get it. We can also often like discount it and like take it for granted. But I, you know, I even find with inflammation with well, actually with acute injury. So mm-hmm. like I was in off with my kids. One of them like was at we were at grandma's house doing a cool move, fell off the <laughs> stairs, oh, you know, like yeah. hit her face like on the floors, big kind of bloody lips, swelling, gash. And we did a compress. Mom had chamomile in the kitchen. So we just did like a warm compress of chamomile. And you would be amazed at how well it kind of healed up, how easily it kind of just kind of just slowed any kind of bleeding, brought down the swelling significantly, wow. all just within that wow. evening. That's amazing. Yeah. That's that's wild. And most people wouldn't use it like that. And just like my kids grew up with only knowing it as this big jar of flowers we would have right? on the counter that we would pretty much 95% of the time just use it for stuffy noses. Oh. You know, like the steam. Yeah. You know, simmer up some water, throw a couple hand, big handfuls in cover it up for a little bit and then, you know, put your towel over your head and breathe it in and make sure you've got some Kleenex next to you. And (laughs) yeah, (laughs) this is our little family, you know, ritual. I Uh, love that. Mm -hmm. So that kind of is kind of what it is like looking at food as medicine and herbs like this is sort of like, I don't know, when you build it into a family story and ritual, it really, you know, the the kids remember it and um, yeah, just speaks maybe it becomes something that gets handed down and we can rebuild those connections between the generations and herbs that so much has been lost, right? Absolutely. It's so true. And it's, and it's interesting because you read about, you know, we read about these different herbal approaches. Like I, you know, in my training really kind of enamored with some of the eclectic tradition and, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at the way they use herbs and, um, and it's funny because I think, I think it's David Winston who calls it like the purgum, pucum and bleedum kind of <laughs> type of, of medicine. But I, you know, when you explore it personally and realize mm-hmm. how many of our plants have these different actions all with, like that you, within that one particular plant, right? So even just coming back to the, to the chamomile, for example, I, you know, when I was exploring it in my herbal studies, like when I learned that in higher doses, like actually experiencing this, it becomes an emetic, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, so I can have a smaller dose and it can help me fall asleep. I can have a larger dose and I can cause me to vomit, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, 
choose your own adventure right (laughs) choose your own adventure you know so it's like there you know but it's this idea of like going from the learning in books and like you're Mm -hmm. saying john like how do you reintegrate that into family stories, weave it into personal experiences by actually, like, I think we have to be intrepid explorers, you know, like you all are, right? Mm-hmm. To 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 reestablish those relationships and like take it off of the pages of lore and, and history and make it real. Like, how do we actually use it? Yeah. I mean, gosh, you really hit there the whole reason why Tara and I do this podcast. It's like, what are the stories? you know, behind it all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was absolutely incredible. All this on food is medicine. It's like my favorite thing to talk about. Uh, I think. And we have some fun things that are coming up with Karen. There's uh, the thing is like we, this could have been a two part episode, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't want to say goodbye. (laughs) I didn't want to say goodbye. And we go on a bit, but the thing is, if you, if you at home want to make it a two part episode, just hit pause and go get a snack and then (laughs) come back. The DIY two part (laughs) episode. (laughs) And then it's a two part episode. So we'll just call it part two. This will be, we're just about to get to part two. We're going to talk about aromatherapy and those, those, these fancy, what is it again? Hormesis, I think is the word. And xenohormesis? Yes. Yes. You're going to learn about that. Yeah. Um, I had no idea what that was. (laughs) Functional medicine, aromatherapy, uh, what is it? Probiotics. So we have Mm -hmm. all these things to get to. But since we were just talking about food as medicine, Mm -hmm. I thought I'd take this moment to mention that if you want to go a little deeper into this on Herb Mentor, our membership site, which you can start for a dollar if you would like to check it out for a week. We have two courses on there and 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 uh, one is by an amazing food as medicine teacher. Um, well, actually, both are uh, named KP Kalsa. We have a f- course called Culinary Herbalism on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you listened to this, Tara? I have listened to it. I really I mean, love it. It is preparations, recipes for your skin, digestion, immune system, respiratory system, tonics, musculoskeletal and cardiovascular detoxification. All food is medicine into those perspectives and KP gives you all these recipes and it's the kind of thing where you could kind of put on as you're cooking or doing the dishes and just listen in the background and maybe you'll be inspired, you know, to go a little mm-hmm. deeper. You know, you don't have to sit and show up for a course online or anything. You can just kind of build it in to, you know, into your life. So For sure. Um, and, yeah, and the other one happens to be called... Oh, food is medicine. How interesting. I know, I know. <laughs> and this one's audio by Todd Caldicott. And Todd and KP are uh, both have uh, a, a big background in Ayurvedic medicine, and Todd does in Tibetan medicine as well. And so it's, but it's wild. They have a, a different approach, and yet mm. they have a similar background and talk about this food is medicine. And that's why it's good. That's why I have both on there, on both on Herb Mentor. Because uh, Todd has a whole different way of looking at stuff, and he gives even more amazing tips. And that's what I think is good, the diversity of, of information. And, and Todd goes into, like, fats and oils and cereal grains and, you know, meat and dairy and, mm-hmm. and sugar, what sugar does and alcohol and all that, a paleo, paleolithic and Ayurveda diets, vegan, vegetarian and raw diets, healthy cookware, techniques of preparation. And again, it's a podcast style course. So it's, this one's audio and you can just listen to it anytime you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. So good. And, um, 
So that's on Herb Mentor, and you could, oh, you know what, Tara, we sometimes have a special offer for folks. Right? <gasps> oh my yeah. God, we're, we do. <laughs> where can they find out about that? <laughs> they can find that on HerbMentorRadio.com. Yeah, and while you're there, you could hit subscribe to your favorite podcast uh, app uh, for Mentor Radio so you never miss an episode. And uh, yeah, um, I think um, we should get on back to that episode because there's a lot to talk about with Karen. Absolutely. Time for part two. <laughs> yeah, part two. So wait, wait, do they hit play? Have they already hit play for part two or do they, or now you pause, go get your snack come back <laughs> i don't know i don't know the order of operations oh, no. <laughs> whatever y'all want to do just do <laughs> but we're just so grateful that you're here and listening to us you talked a little bit about your grandmother and now weaving herbs in with your own kids and i'm curious how did you get on this plant path where did those threads start for you in your life and you know spark of interest in this arena it's so interesting because i really think that that it was a calling you know i really feel like the plants kind of mm. called to me and that because i grew up similar to like that john's experience like hamburger helper tuna <laughs> helper you know like if i had a sniffle my parents were like quick to bring me you know triaminic or nyquil right i mean in that awful red syrup Oh, no. Before oh, it was even so a pill. Oh, God. <laughs> so I can still taste it. Ah! Oh, my gosh. And, <laughs> and, you know, no knocking. I mean, I'm sure for all of you that benefit from those, you know, over-the-counter medications, more power to you. But I just could not tolerate the green NyQuil. I just couldn't get it to go down. And so I think that being, like, having that opportunity, I think it was really interesting. My dad had the Jethro Kloss book right? Like mm. back to Eden. And I was like, whoa, what's this all about? So I don't know who gave it to him. I'm not sure he ever even read it. And I just yeah. like, you know, <laughs> I started reading. I was like, this is interesting. Yeah. And then when I was, um, I was in high school, I had a really good friend who, uh, was, had, was himself getting some support from an herbalist. And I had been having this recurrent upper respiratory infection. Mm. I just couldn't get rid of it. And I'd had like, two to three rounds of, of antibiotics. Yeah. It just was not going anywhere. And I, my friend suggested his sub tea. Mm. Um, he was like, you know, you might want to try his sub tea, you know, just maybe having it a few times a day, you know, on an empty stomach, with a little water. Um, lo and behold, like it really did the trick for me. And I was like eyes opened, right. I couldn't yeah. believe the power and the potency, but I didn't know really where to go to learn more. Mm. And I kind of took a little bit of a wayward path in that I discovered aromatherapy, like mm. essential mm -hmm. oils, you know, like how most teenagers and late teenagers did like at the mall. I was at the mall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and somebody, this woman actually had this incredible, she had a shop. It was just essential oils. Like she was ahead of her time and it was amazing. And my mind was blown. And so I think this is like the plants, like the seductive kind of call because I was yeah. like, wow, I want to know more. Like what's uh -huh. in this bottle is just getting me excited to learn more. <laughs> so that's how I ended up getting, you know, more and more into the actual herbs themselves and the plants themselves and 
then it was then that I learned about my own family history, right? Mm. That's when people would say, oh yeah, you know, your great, great grandparents were herb doctors, like right here, like this land here, they were using for medicine Mm -hmm. or, you know, like traditions, like really finding out that like my mom growing up would have slices of onion put on her wrist when she had a fever. Oh, wow. So like, I'm like, well, why aren't we doing that anymore? You know, like, why, why'd you guys stop? Mm -hmm. So now it's like coming full circle. It's like allowing me to reconnect with my family history because the stories are coming out, the books and, and the the information that they passed down that they'd kind of lost track of. So yeah, that's how I got into it. And I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for sharing how all those threads weave together. So beautiful to hear. And one of the threads that you brought up was aromatherapy and essential Mm -hmm. oils. And I feel like that's really common for a lot of people. You know, they don't, for so many people, they don't maybe think about the plants. And then they're like, what is this amazing smelling bottle of lavender essential oil? Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I'm curious too, I, I think for so many people too, like, we don't actually know like what is an essential oil or like what is a hydrosol. Yeah. And yeah. A lot of people just hear like so that's in the it's like one of those buzz things in the air, like, oh, so and so is aromatherapy or whatnot. And people don't even all really quite understand how to go about it or to do it in a way that's healthy to them. Totally. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's, it's really interesting because I'm glad that I actually started to get in, get into aromatherapy before it became like a very, very trendy thing. Right. So (laughs) I, I was like able to learn about it without there being a lot of it, um, kind of push or influences suggesting that we kind of go with our, if a little bit is good, a lot must be great mentality. Right. right? Cause you know, what's really interesting about it is like the aromatherapy where we're really using as the, the volatile oils, of plants, the aromatic volatile oils. And, you know, we know that our plants, that they develop these, like they produce these as part of, often as part of like their immune system or their way of interacting with the world around them or Mm -hmm. their way of like attracting just the right pollinator, right? And so Mm -hmm. we know that the plants, it's a dynamic kind of interplay with the plants and their environment um, whenever they're producing these but volatile oils. So for us, we, you know, especially as you start getting into the academic side and learning about mm-hmm. hormesis and xenohormesis, I'm mm-hmm. not sure if your listeners are familiar with these concepts, but I'm not. I'm not so either. This idea of... <laughs> to be honest with everyone, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> well, do you, like, do you want me to tell you about? Please do. You brought it up. Oh my gosh, I'm so curious. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Okay. Okay. So, so the concept of hormesis is one where we see that having a, a little bit of exposure to certain things can actually um, help us to build up. Um, or have improved responses to that thing over time. So for example, they saw in Chernobyl for people that had like a small bit of exposure to radiation, their actual long-term outcomes in terms of cancer risk were lowered compared to people that have a higher exposure or no exposure at all. Wow. So there's like a sweet spot 
Well, it's the same thing with our plants, right? Like people always talk about things like, wow, did you know that such and such plant has like arsenic in it? Well, yeah, but it's in a hormetic dose. Like it's just enough, right? That it's like therapeutically supportive for those that are ingesting that plant. Unless of course we know it's like a low dose herbal or something we're not supposed to be ingesting, Mm -hmm. but like apples, you know, like if you have happen to have an apple seed or something like Mm that, um, so the same thing is true with volatile oils, right? In our, our essential oils of our plants. So when you harvest that plant, then that, you know, normally you're getting some of that essential oil, like let's say with clove, you might get some of it in your, you know, that you're having in your food, you're having in your spice, but it's such a small amount, mm-hmm. right? Such a low dose. And it's so therapeutic. When you have too much of it, though, like if you overdose on it, you get too much. That's where we start seeing people having significant issues with their Mm -hmm. detoxification, their ability to manage it becomes a burden, right? So that's like this idea of hormesis is that there's like just enough, like the dose, right? is just enough that it improves your outcomes overall and it's therapeutic for you. Now, xenohormesis, the idea is that our plants are responding to things in our environment before we even notice they're there, right? Their volatile oils, their constituents change in response to that changing need so that when we ingest them or when they become part of our medicinal, like our therapeutic approach to care, like we're getting the benefit without even necessarily knowing what it was that that plant was responding to. So for example, you might hear sometimes people will say, you know, that if you have allergies and you tend to have, um, you get raw honey from a particular, you know, area where you tend to have allergies from, like it's indigenous local to you. So Mm. the bees are kind of making that honey from maybe plants that are growing nearby. Oftentimes the honey that's produced, is going to help you with your allergies, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you get that honey from like another town, another village, another country might not have as much of an impact because the plants and the bees, like that whole ecosystem is developing around what's there in your environment, right? Similarly, you might have a plant that's, you know, it's maybe there's some sort of blight, you know, or, you know, fungal infection that's kind of coming up in your environment. That plant is going to be adapting its immune response to be able to cope with that, that blight or with that fungus, right? So that when you ingest the plant, then you're getting the benefit of its immune response, right? So, you know, there are these different ways, like, and you don't know, and it, like, it's not affecting you. It's not something that you've necessarily had to, you know, deal with, and you're not Mm -hmm. in there exploring the microscopic, you know, (laughs) fungal spores, but you're, you know, it's just something that we take for granted because it's just part of the way the system works. So this is why food is medicine. When we can eat locally, when we can, you know, draw nourishment from our natural environment, we find that it actually has, we have better outcomes overall. Yeah. So, so, so like for most people, definitely like they find a local farm, a farmer's market, a a CSA, which is like a subscription, it's just a subscription farm. Then that'll be wonderful. And the food is medicine. And I'm thinking, well, a lot of people listening to this make their own remedies with local plants and it doesn't make the case for, 
you know, instead of buying the tincture from wherever, make it yourself with something yeah. you grew in the garden. Or, do you ever have any patients who do that? Like actually like make their own medicine or do you have people around you who make their medicine you recommend them get their supplements or tinctures from or? Yeah, it's a really great question. So it depends, right? Mm. Like when you're talking about daily nourishment, like daily ongoing mm. care, then I think a hundred percent, like if you can grow some food, just like locally, even if it's just, you know, container gardening, if you have limited space, right. Um, that if you can grow your own herbs, like uh, locally, um, and have your own rosemary tea, right. Just things mm-hmm. that are like, kind of easy <laughs> for us to get and cultivate. I totally think that that relationship, having a relationship with the plant where there's like an energetic exchange as well as a nutrient exchange. Like, I just think you can't, you just can't beat that for ongoing care. Now, how, however, if I'm going to be recommending something that's a therapeutic, that I'm looking for a certain standardized level of particular constituents, right? I know it's probably going to be grown in a particular place. Like, so for example, we might look at a standard of lavender, right? So we might look at a, a lavandula angustifolia that's grown in France in certain fields in France versus one that I might grow in my garden here, right? That we know that when we take a look at the analysis of the essential oils, that that the lavandula angustifolia profile is going to look different depending on where in the world it was grown, Mm-hmm. when it was harvested, how it was harvested, how it was steam distilled. And so a lot of the therapeutic properties that we ascri- ascribe to that particular essential oil will have to do with those constituents, right? Mm-hmm. So if I say, well, I'm going to just grow some in my yard and then I'm going to harvest it when I harvest it. And then I'm just going to, you know, use my little still here and make my essential oil. Well, I, I can't necessarily expect that it's going to have the same therapeutic benefit that the kind of standard, you know, that one might get from that French lavender would. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So having it in mind, the question is, what are you trying to use it for? And what are mm-hmm. you trying to do? Are you, mm-hmm. you looking for a certain amount of senile, right? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. one eight senile in this particular rosemary, or are you looking for something that's got a higher, you know, little content like if we're looking at it at that level it does make a difference Mm, mm -hmm. (sighs) it makes me think about what you were talking with before around like wanting to make you know your protocols with patients and clients very personalized and just how important it is to really think about the whole person before you and the whole plant too that you're working with yeah that is not just the constituents or the supplements they're taking or what's in those it's this whole approach that's right. Absolutely. It's a systems approach to care, which I have this book, this vitalism book that was my, that was my grandmother's. It was like oh, back wow. in the, yeah, like in the 1800s, you know, like they, I have some, I have to tell you, I wish you could see <laughs> my shelf. I've got, I'm so grateful to some of the, my mentors that I've been able to get some like really old pharmacopoeias and, oh you know, like God. love that stuff. I mean, makes my heart beat. Right. But <laughs> when I read these, like in the 1800s, so because there was like a lot of agrarian life, you know, a lot of folks on the farm, it was more common to have these, like the family, like, like the, the books that were put out by physicians for family medicine, right? Like mm. here's how you take care of your family. 
and there would be herbal remedies in there. There might be like a sunroom, like here's how you just like sit with the light, with the windows open in the sun, some mirrors to help you get, you know, some really good rays. And, but, but then it would also talk about, you know, like, how do you nourish yourself? Like making sure that you're getting, you know, food that's actually balanced, that you're kind of getting from these different food groups, you're eating a lot of plants, you're getting a lot of water. This is mm. old knowledge, right? That's, yeah, that's, that's amazing because <laughs> when my son was born and we'd already talked about how I grew up and I, I, I knew enough to, to know that there were other ways, like, you know, natural ways of doing things. And I wanted to do that. And so I'm holding them. And, and that's why I got in all this in the first place, because, you know, you just said like, here's how you take care of your family. And it's like, I was wondering that, like, how do I take care of this kid? Where's the instruction manual? Like, look, right? I, even, I have no idea how to parent, first of all. That's a whole nother thing. What do I do when he gets sick? What do I, how do we, you know, and it's all these questions, which led me to those apprenticeships and all those classes I took. Right. Not so much to teach people or later become an acupuncturist or do all these kinds of things. It was more simply to, how do I take care of and nourish my family? And That's my wife right. did these same apprenticeships and we kind of made that family culture and, and and culture is an interesting word because that's what my mentor, um, who Tara met this summer, would use a lot about, you know, we use that that word culture, um, you know, like it's, it's a lot to do with our food and medicine, right? Because the cultures mm-hmm. of our, well, of, of, our, of, of our fermented foods, for example, mm-hmm. you know, the things that we pass down and, and that we use that word culture to mean music and, and, and art and all these things, but it really comes down to food and stuff. Since I talked about um, fermented foods there, I I did notice, uh, Karen, that you had some research on probiotics. We've been talking about food as medicine, and I didn't want to let you go without talking a bit about, like, I just feel like there's so many pills on the shelf, so much misinformation. You know, is there a simple way to talk about, like, how you look at probiotics and, and food as medicine together and what you recommend to people and all that? Yeah. I know that's a big I, question. We keep giving you these gigantic it, things yeah, that you could, you, like, could, you could teach week-long workshops on or <laughs> right, semesters exactly. on. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, they are really big questions and they're important questions and they don't always have simple, straightforward answers. So, but I'm happy to just share with you kind of yeah. just like, this is just my perspective on like how I see it. I think that I loved doing the series on probiotics because we, at the time when we worked on that series, we were looking at the clinical application of probiotics and there really wasn't a lot of information out there for how do you utilize them. And one of the team members was really good about actually looking at the fermented foods that have these various strains. Mm. And there's kind of, you know, like with everything we've got, there's the um, industry driven side and then there's the kind of his, the traditional food side, right? right? So the industry-driven side is like, in order to do this research, we need to actually be able to like, like earn some income, right? In order to cover the costs because the research costs money. So they'll often do research on specific strains of probiotics that are like unique, right? So mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a variant that's very specific, And then they will put together some sort of controlled study on the use of that particular strain. Now, from a fermented foods standpoint, we know that probiotics, just like everything else, 
are extremely, it's so diverse. We haven't even been able to categorize, like to identify right. all of the various microbes wow. that are going to be in these foods. So, and the inner, and then the relationship between them, how they support one another, and then how it works within our bodies. Mm. I mean, amazing. And then I had, you know, a great, a, a colleague of mine who I adore, Eleonora Gafton, Dr. Gafton's amazing. And I remember her talking about even just how do our herbs, like some of the herbs that we might ingest that we say, oh, this particular constituent isn't really bioavailable. So it's not really having an impact physiologically. And what we find is that, well, a lot of the microbes in our guts actually can digest those constituents and then they can release the the medicinal kind of constituents that give us the benefit, right? Mm -hmm. So this interplay between the microbial community, the herbs and the food that we ingest and how energetically and kind of there's a synergy amongst it all, I think it's so much more than what comes in a pill, right? Yeah. And so going to like looking at those the kefirs and like traditional mm -hmm. cultured, you know, and, and different people have different tastes and that's fine. You know, some folks I'm, I ask them, you know, will you eat this like sauerkraut or kimchi? And they, they're just like, they can't tolerate the sour taste. Right. But others they can do, they, but they can do really well with like a yogurt, you know, or mm -hmm. even Miso. like, look, yeah, and miso, right? And miso, great. So, or slowly get adapted to kombucha, right? So <laughs> these are all, you know, important ways that we can find our way back to um, these fermented traditions that have been really, really nourishing. Gosh, and none of these were available when we were growing up in a no. market. Like, and, and still now, you know, you have to go to like a food co-op or whatever, but still, or Whole Foods even, and there'll be fermented foods there. And it's like, and often local, you're talking about local, a lot of local yeah. small cottage industries have developed around, you know, like I, um, when I travel, I might go into a, I'm just saying Whole Foods just because that's one that's around all over. And I'll notice that they'll carry a lot of local things. And, yeah. But it's so easy to make, right? I mean, anyone with a, you can go to, a, you know, go get a cabbage. And if you have a big jar and a cabbage and some kosher salt, you can, make sauerkraut. Yeah, you ought to be able to, like you could. And, and it's funny because we don't, like we really don't do it that much. I mean, I honestly, like I remember um, just my first round with kefir and like really I got the kefir grains mm. and I was like loving making the kefir, but it's like having another child. Like, yeah. Totally. Really? Like you can't go on vacation. Like you, you know, it's scary what happens if you leave that child unattended for too long. <laughs> or if you make kombucha, then you get that, like it divides itself and you're just right. like, oh, how do I get rid of this? Whole how do I do it? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I mean, these traditions grew, I mean, there are some who've been doing it for generations and generations. And so that's another area that I would love to explore more is learning how to rebuild those connections and how to bring that into our family lives. So we do it more, but John, I will say, if you do like have someone that is in need of some probiotic support mm -hmm. and they aren't able to maybe because of histamine intolerance, mm -hmm. you know, or things like that to really go with the fermented foods, I prefer a broad spectrum probiotic. So mm -hmm. 
at least, I usually would go with at least 10 to 14 different strains of like lactobacillus and bifidum bacteria in that probiotic because people who go with like one or two, like they just take one or two strains and they do these high doses, you're really creating your own imbalance Mm. in the system, right? Mm. So I always am a, a big proponent for kind of broad spectrum systems approach to nourishment. I love this. I love wow. this. Mm-hmm. I'm just reflecting on the amazing information that we just <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I know, this is very helpful for me. I'm taking notes over here. Oh, yeah. God. Absolutely. And just again, you know, you're talking about the systems approach and it makes me think about uh, your work as a functional medicine practitioner. And I feel like functional medicine is another buzzword that gets thrown around a lot these days, but a lot of people don't actually know what it means. So I'm curious, could you share with all of us, what is functional medicine and how do you use this approach in your practice? Yeah. So Functional, so I practice functional nutrition, which is based mm-hmm. on a functional medicine model. And that's, that's looking at basically what are the various inputs, the different factors that go into what helps us to be well, right? Um, versus the downstream effects, the symptoms that end up bringing us in to see a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, the functional medicine model, they will use an example of a tree, ironically, and they'll talk about the branches of the different trees being different branches of medicine, right? So mm-hmm. I have a headache. Am I going to go to the neurologist? Uh, if I go to the gastroenterologist, they'll be looking at a different part, different factors related to that headache. You know, that they're all kind of looking at these different parts of a, of a, a single person as if it's a distinct condition. When functionally, we understand that our bodies, we respond as a total organism and we'll have manifestations of every illness or imbalance, you know, in different ways, like different parts of our body that can be uh, seen and picked up from these different uh, specialists uh, with different tools, right? And so Mm -hmm. we often don't have a lot of communication at that end. We can end up with a lot of different medications to manage symptoms that are you know, not necessarily getting to the root cause, but the functional medicine model goes back down to the roots of nutrition, lifestyle, sleep, uh, genetic predispositions, like all of these things that go into our, our well-being. And then we can work there. We can provide support there to help someone, you know, rebalance, come back into balance when there's an imbalance there. So, mm. That's the functional medicine model. Sounds a lot like herbal medicine. Yeah. And, oh. um, <laughs> but, but not all herbal medicine. Like there's so many people teaching and so many ways to go about it that yes, That's a lot true. of herbalists, but like, you know, it's, it's really refreshing to, for you, you know, being a doctor, having a practice and taking, like, if I lived where you live in Virginia, I would, you would be my doctor for sure. Oh, <laughs> well, so I know I, I really appreciate that perspective. I think, you know, it's true. And I really love that you're pointing out there are so many different ways to practice herbal medicine. And, and there are some that, that do take a, you know, approach that's not necessarily one that's looking at the root causes and imbalance, Mm -hmm. but I'm kind of integrating this all together is kind of like a, I call it like a functional phytotherapy, um, Mm -hmm. where it's like, how do we really, you know, ideally 
you really want to understand in depth a person's story. Like what got Mm -hmm. that person to where they are today, going as far back as you can, even, you know, pre conception, right? Like what happened with that person's parents? Uh, You know, what things were going on? Because that all plays a role. And when you can have a comprehensive intake, it really helps you identify where those underlying kind of threads are. Yeah. Yeah. And we often have that, like on Herb Mentor, like for example, someone will join and say, you know, and, and, you know, it's just so hard navigating the healthcare system and I can Mm -hmm. understand, but when it's like, oh, I have this, you know, fill in the blank chronic situation and it's like, uh, the best we can do is try to find someone who can do a full intake, somebody Mm -hmm. who can get to know you and navigating that in this day and age is, is challenging, especially, you know, financially it's hard for people. It might not be on insurance or people don't have insurance and yeah. So that's why we try our best for people to see this way of looking at things and hopefully be able to help themselves as much as possible. And maybe, just maybe that will lead them because they're, you know, through us or somebody through us or they know to a practitioner such as yourself where they can, you know, get that intake that you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I agree with you. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a functional model or herbal, like, just as you're saying, there's some clinicians that are really uh, intent on getting a really great clinical history and a really great intake. And it makes all the difference. Um, especially just being heard, being heard, heard. being seen, feeling held. That's, that's Mm. the foundation of, to me, real healing. And that is an amazing place to uh, wrap it up, I think, for today, because that was just beautiful. It was beautiful. (laughs) Um, So uh, Karen, if people want to learn more about you, um, again, where can, where can they find you online? Um, so definitely you can find me at uh, www.nourishwell-us. That's an easy way to do it. Nourishwell-us. Nourishwell-us. Yeah, Nourishwell-us. That's an easy way. And also, uh, also through, I have to plug the American Herbalist Guild Please through do. AHG. Because mm-hmm. uh, oh. I am get serving on the board there and, and get happy to be the chair of the board this year. <gasps> And oh, I'm just really thrilled. Thanks uh, about the, the group that we have. So whether it's me or our amazing group of herbalists that are registered, that you could find them on that on that website as well. Please do come check us out. Thank you so much, Karen. It was such a pleasure chatting with you, and I learned so much. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Thank you. Well, we got to really have you back sometime. You. There's so much more to talk about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. These big questions. I know. I know. We can help ourselves. (laughs) Thank you both so much for what you do um, and for how how much you offer. I, yeah, I just love your work and I'm very grateful for both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Herb Mentor Radio is written and produced by John Gallagher and Tara Ruth. Sound engineering by Zach Frank. Visit HerbMentorRadio.com to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and for information on how to be part of Herb Mentor, your home for herbal education. Herb Mentor Radio is a production of LearningHerbs.com, LLC, all rights reserved. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>